We're in this season called Unstoppable. Unstoppable, uh, it's really a book study on the book of Acts. Uh, but we took on a particular angle. And the angle is one thing to look at the book of Acts through the lens of discipleship and especially the gospel. And because the book of Acts are full of different instances, uh, whether it's external, which is persecution and geographical challenges and all of that, uh, and then the internal strife and the internal struggle that people have. But in the midst of both external and internal, what makes the gospel overcoming both challenges and make it unstoppable? Uh, there were so many situations the gospel was supposed to stop when persecution happened, but the gospel went on and we wanted to learn from them uh, so that every one of us possess an unstoppable heartbeat uh, when it comes to the love of God that's able to reach out to everybody around us. Okay, so today uh, we're going to focus on, I call it the tale of two CDs, part one, uh, because it's going to, for the X18, which we're going to look into it today, and X19, X18 is about the city of Corinth, and then X19 is about the city of Ephesus. Uh, These two become an incredible kind of a city, uh, partly because of just some historical things that piece it together. You will find that today, Corinth is extremely a liberal kind of a city, and, but that was where the gospel came in. And Paul spent 18 months in Corinth, where else Ephesus, Paul spent three years. So these are the two cities that Paul spent the most time and ended up writing two letters for Corinth. Actually, it's about four to five, but only recorded two in the Bible. And then a masterpiece of a letter to Ephesus where Paul detailed down just the doctrine and how we're supposed to live that out. And out of the, these two cities uh, came with the two books in the Bible. So we're going to kind of walk through the city and then bring that to that spot why the letter was written. Uh, so you do not want to miss today's uh, message because it helps you biblically to have a grasp on it. Uh, you will also notice as we kind of walk through uh, today's message, you will find that there's a lot of names uh, in Acts 18 uh, and a lot of places. Why is that so? Because it's just a historical, credible book. Uh, you'll find that with the Roman Emperor and you know all that little thing. And to, just to tell you that the book was written with such accuracy that during that time, anybody could have questioned if the accuracy was not there. And they were full of Roman historians that, that just kind of testify to some of the incidents that happened in the book of Acts. All right, so uh, let's kind of walk through that, okay? Now, so uh, this is Paul's second missionary journey. So season five sort of started with Paul's second missionary journey, uh, which he started with Antioch. So you can see there's a highlighted Antioch, uh, kind of a purple color. And this is called Antioch Syria. It's, it, it kind of moved the whole central of the gospel uh, from Jerusalem, very Jewish, to Antioch, which is a very Gentile kind of a church. And uh, Paul was actually sent out in Antioch. And he took his first missionary journey, and it was around Asia Minor, which is where you see the word Galatia. Uh, that's where you got Iconium. That's where you got Lystra, Derby, Aphampilia, you know, all these places where Paul actually preached the gospel and then came back. And then he did his second missionary journey, which is this map. So as he go about in Asia Minor strengthening, and if you remember the story, Acts 16, uh, Paul was wondering, he wanted to take the gospel further. He actually wanted to go towards the east side, uh, actually the west side, a bit of the northern, or even attempted towards the south side a little bit. But there was just a lot of closed door. So God led Paul to Troas. And if you remember the story, it was in Troas, he had a dream. 
and, uh, and someone came from Macedonia, the Greek world, and said, could you come over? That's how God opened that door, led Paul through Troas and go to the first city called Philippi. He preached the gospel, the Philippi, the Philippi jailer got saved, he and his household started a church, and then because of the constant uh, persecution of the Jewish uh, community, he e eventually went to Thessalonica, and then in Berea, and then last weekend, he came to Athens. You know, I just want to appreciate Joel uh, for taking the time to lay the different layers of the entire wealth of the cultural and the city background of Athens to bring about that spot where Paul preached one of the masterpieces in terms of people who do not know God and help them to connect the dot to who God is in their particular culture, all right? Now, then the Bible tells us that he moves to Corinth. Corinth is what we call in the region of Acacia, okay? So you can see it in the map. Uh, that's a little word, Corinth. And you will find that Corinth was very unique kind of a city geographically. You know why? Because Corinth was situated really at that little strip connecting the whole big land of the Greek world to what they call uh, the Pantelia uh, Peninsula. All right, which is the one, the, the, the entire little, small little, and there was a little, this little strip, okay, where Corinth is placed. And Corinth became a very strategic city uh, because of its location. It uh, became a port and harbor where a lot of sailors, a lot of trading, a lot of commercial that's happening, okay? Now, so I'm going to lay a little bit of a background towards the city to bring us to the spot where the gospel came and how the gospel came to a city that is very much like our city today, uh, very happening, uh, lots of trade, lots of commercial, uh, commercial uh, lots of, uh, there were lots of immorality, religious background, and in, in the midst of all that, that's where the gospel triumphed and ministered to the entire city, all right? So we're going to go through uh, four different lenses. First of all, geographically, then commercially, then culturally, and finally, religiously, the city of Corinth. Now, geographically, if I can zoom in a little bit down, it's called the Peloponnese place, okay? And you will find that there's this little word called the Corinth Canal, okay? Uh, that became a very strategic place, you know why? Because by then, if you're coming from the east, you needed to go to the west. You need to make a big circle through the peninsula. You got to kind of make through that little thing. And it's very dangerous because it's a very open water kind of a sailing. And uh, for years, people wanted to cut through that little strip that it's shown in the picture called the Corinth Canal. It started with Nero, but it only succeeded in 1893, uh, which is, you know, a couple of uh, 100, 100 plus years ago, where it only succeeded to open up the canal. Uh, because of such strategic location, uh, it became really a place where all the trading will stop. So you got Corinth on the west side, and you can see the word Isthmus, where there is actually a harbour there, uh, which uh, St. Christian, that's what's the name, which we're going to look at it later. But because of these two harbour, it became extremely a strategic location. Now, this is the map. Uh, this is a picture of the Corinth Canal where potentially if you and I have a chance to go there, you can take a selfie, you know, but uh, such a beautiful canal. It's about 3.5 miles across and people literally cut through that so that the ship now can sail through that without the danger of the open sea. Now, culturally, it was known for its bronze work and architecture. In fact, there's something called the Corinthians Column, uh, which is one of those Roman kind of a column that we see everywhere, but it has a 
a Corinthian version with some leaves and all that. So that became very popular uh, by then. It's also known for its spots. So just now I talked about Isthmus, and there is what we call the Isthmian uh, Games that happens every two years. Uh, it was secondary to Olympic. Olympic started almost about 700 BC, uh, and Isthmus Games was started about 500 BC. So it was just known to be a place where sports, culture, everything collides together. So Paul in 2 Corinthians uh, kind of talk about, he says that when we meet God, there will be a tribunal or there will be a, what we call the Bema Seat Judgment. It was actually derived from a sporting scenario, so to speak, where a judge will actually in an elevated place look up and see how everybody run the race. And Paul actually took that because he wrote to Corinth where this is a very familiar metaphor for everybody. Uh, it was also known for its immorality. Uh, you know, typically a place where there's a lot of trade and commercial, whatever, uh, lots of people, then there's a lot of loose kind of a living. And propelled by that, uh, to, to have this little phrase called to act like a Corinthian simply means that you live a such an immoral life. Or people sometimes you were to Corinthianize someone, okay? Talk about its immorality. Morality. Uh, and part of the immorality actually has to do with the religious background. Uh, so, in Corinth, it's where you got the goddess Aphrodite. And in Corinth itself, you got three massive temples. And potentially, the most famous is the one in Acro Corinth. Acro simply means elevated. The highest point of Corinth, Acro Corinth, is where you have the uh, Aphrodite uh, temple where it was said historically by different historians that each night about a thousand prostitutes, the temple prostitutes, will be there to engage uh, with the men. So, it became an extremely very liberal. Now, it is such a city where lots of money, lots of trading, uh, such a strategic location where uh, by then it boasted about almost 200,000 people during Paul's time. It was that kind of a city that Paul landed and eventually stayed on, preached the gospel and planted a church. Well, we're going to pick up this story in Acts chapter 18. So we're going to kind of do it devotionally, just walk through some of the verses, make a couple of comments, and then bring you to the letter of Corinth to kind of tie everything together, okay? Now, the Bible says after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, all right? So remember, he was in Athens. He took about, about I think, 500, uh, 200 over miles over and go to Corinth. There he met a Jew by the name of Aquila, a native of Pontus. Pontus is somewhere in Asia, minor there, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius has ordered all Jews to leave Rome, Paul went to see them. So historically, not just the Bible, but the Roman historian captured there were at least about two to three times where the emperor decided to exile every Jews from Rome, uh, citing because of potentially the way they preaches the gospel and he doesn't like it. And then there were so many, what we call the imperial persecution. This might be one of them where Claudius decided to exile every Jewish uh, resident that is in Rome. Uh, so, you know, God always used very, sometimes in a very unfortunate circumstances to create a new story. Uh, this is one of those where uh, Priscilla and Aquila, or Aquila and Priscilla left Rome and Paul happened to be in Corinth and they both kind of met each other and they were of the same trade, uh, kind of became friends and they not only became friends, they became a lifelong friends that eventually the Bible, there were six times mentioning Aquila and Priscilla and this couple has always been someone that served alongside Paul. In fact, Romans 16 tells us that Paul talks about Aquila and Priscilla and say that they literally risked their neck to save his life. So it became longevity kind of a friends uh, that actually get to serve God 
God together. You know, when I reflect back on all this relationship, uh, God is an amazing architect that kind of engineer and peace relationship together. Uh, I, I can recall all the friends that I met in USM, people like uh, Mark, people like Jonathan, people like Clement, you know, and uh, some of them, you know, that we are all serving together uh, right now in this place and Lily and my wife, you know, and somehow God just kind of strategically uh, puts people together. I can think of the Lim Kok Wing bunch of people. You've got people like Bernard, you've got Alicia. I can think about the Prime College kind of people. I can think of Pastor Jonathan and, uh, I mean, Pastor Sean and Si Ping and uh, Adrian and, you know, so God has His own way sometimes in His own timing. But I want you to know that God pieced people together so that we can write a new chapter of the things that God wants to do through us together. You know, over the past few years, I think we have seen quite a fair bit of different people are uh, getting saved in our church. And I'm looking forward for the journey that God has, God will take us. You know, in the Chinese service, uh, Zeth was our host. And if you know Zeth's story, Zeth accepted Christ about two and a half years ago and then together with the wife and uh, Kelmin. And it was in the camp that we met. Now, prior before I met them, they, was, they, they met Hao-Chun and uh, Celine and uh, Joisha and some of these people, friends, and friends connecting friends. And I still remember when I went for the camp, uh, there was... Uh, Hao Chun and Celine say, hey, Pastor, you know, maybe can spend some time with them. I think they're very open towards the gospel. And it was the first night, uh, I think the second day where we had lunch. And then that was the very particular day they gave their life to Jesus. And because the gospel penetrated through their life, eventually both parents also get saved and some of the friends around them. You know, so God works in this line of relationship. So every friends that God has given unto you could be a new chapter and so that you can serve God powerfully together. All right, all right, verse 3. Because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So why didn't Paul preach every day? Because he has to work. Uh, Paul is someone who believes that both working and serving together. And every synagogue, every Sunday, he then he will reason to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. And then verse 5, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, uh, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. The Bible gives a little bit of contrast what happened between verse 4 and 5. That's simply because when Silas and Timothy came, they not only brought the moral support, they brought the financial support. Uh, so Paul was able to do that, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, uh, that's just a simple word to say that it became violent, that he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood is on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Okay, and it's just a Jewish act of uh, whatever, whenever someone reject you, you reject back whatever rejection that was given to you. So he shake off every dust, just saying that I now moved on to another place. No matter what has come upon my clothes, I will shake it off so that I'm able to move on uh, to the next thing, all right? Then the Bible says, Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, I want you to take note of the name because he was the synagogue leader and his entire household believed in the Lord and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptised. Now that name, Crispus, was very significant. You know why? Because this is a story how when Paul left the synagogue, he went to the neighbour. 
And he went to this place called by Justice and he preached the gospel. And one of the persons that God saved is actually Crispus, which is a synagogue leader. And then they have to change the synagogue leader. What happens to the next synagogue leader in the following verses, the Bible captured the story, all right? Now, so as Paul was there, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. He says, do not be afraid. Keep on preaching or keep on speaking. Do not be silent for I am with you and no one else is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the Word of God. You know, so Paul has always been chased by all the Jewish, right, community. So when he was in Corinth, there was some form of opposition because in synagogue, what has happened? But God came to Paul in the middle of the night. He says, do not be afraid. He says, keep on speaking. Do not be silent. You know, I love this particular verse. You know why? Because God just kind of, you know, the Bible says when you do the Great Commission, for lo, I'm with you always. God came to Paul. He says, Paul, I'm with you. My presence is with you. Number two, God says that I am going to protect you. So the presence of God, uh, God's protection. And number three, God says, I have a plan for you here. And he says, do not be afraid, which is why Paul was able to stay back there for 18 months. And what did he do? He established the church, he preaches the word of God, and people were getting saved. All right, now, in verse uh, 12, there was a little bit of an incident. Let me tell you the story very quickly. The proconsul of Achaia, which is Galio, uh, the Jews were attacking Paul, and then they brought this place to Galio. They wanted Galio cake, uh, to make a judgment that Paul needs to be punished. But Galio told them, he says that, you know, this is about you guys worshipping God. This is nothing to do about the civil law or whatever. Uh, so he says that, could you just sort it out yourself? So while they were sorting out yourself, uh, there were a lot of uh, frustration within them. So the Bible says this is what they did. They all see Sostinus, the ruler of the, new, of the synagogue. This is a new ruler. So you got Crispus who became saved and then you got Sostinus and, and they began to beat him up just out of frustration. But Galio did not pay attention. Did you know, it was interesting, it was in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul said that Sostinus also became a Christian. Isn't that amazing? So both religious leaders of the synagogue both gave their life to Jesus. That's why Paul in Corinthians captured his name and said that he also sent his regards to all of you, all right? And then verse 18, as we bring all this to an end uh, for Paul's journey as he planned to go back and kind of ended his second missionary journey, the Bible says that he stayed many days longer, which is in Corinth, and then took leave of the brothers, set sail for Syria, and with him was Priscilla and Aquila. Let me show you the map. I think that's the easiest way to kind of capture that version. So if you were to look at the map, he was in Corinth. And then he went to this place called Cancrea. Remember, you see that? So what happened was, Corinth was actually a port harbour for the west side and Cancrea was a port harbour for the east side. These are the two massive ports where all ships will stop. And Paul has to go to Cancrea because that was the only place he can get a ship and he went then to a place called Ephesus. Now, if you can recall, Paul in his second missionary journey, he couldn't go anywhere. He has to go to Troas. Remember that? Now he had a chance. In fact, in Ephesus, the Bible says that he preached the gospel and he stayed there eventually for three years and a lot of churches was built, which is why the book of Revelation had written to the seven churches in Asia Minor, all right? We will deal with that in our next time when we look at Acts chapter 19, the story of Ephesus, okay? Now, so what happened was from Ephesus, he traveled back to Caesarea, 
which is the port where people travel out of Jerusalem area. And then he went to Jerusalem uh, to sort of do something that he needed to do. And then he went back to Antioch. That finishes his entire second missionary journey. And immediately, not too long of that, he started his third missionary journey. Now, that will only be covered in our season six. But this entire diagram tells you that Paul ended his second missionary journey. Now, let's talk a little bit about the city, uh, the, the challenge of the church in Corinth. Now, because the city of Corinth is very diverse, right? It's a very cosmopolitan kind of a city, very modern, lots of uh, trading, lots of money, lots of commercial, lots of prostitution. In a midst, very immoral kind of a city. They had a lot of challenges. So somewhere along the journey of two to three years after the Corinth, when Paul was in Ephesus in his third missionary journey, he, he received news that the church was having a lot of problems. Thus, he wrote 1 Corinthians and eventually 2 Corinthians. Uh, when he, he when when he wrote 1 Corinthians, he was trying to address at least five problems. Number one, there was a lot of disunity. Uh, people were prideful. People were, some of them follow Apollo, some of them follow uh, Paul, some of them follow Peter. So Paul has to write to them. He says, no, we are together. We are one in Christ. And then there were a lot of immorality. So for three chapters, Paul was addressing the different expression of immorality. In fact, there was one immorality that he says that this is even so embarrassed to talk about it. He says, because some of you, uh, you were lying down with your step mom. He says, even the world don't do that. He says, this is really embarrassing. So he was addressing a real scenario. You know, the Bible never shy of telling us exactly what are the challenges. And this is a real church that has real background, which is very complicated background and all kinds of problems. There were problems with food, offering to idols, what to do. They were offending one another. And a problem with spiritual gift. People were very prideful. And it is smack in that chapter. We have the famous chapter of 1 Corinthians where the Bible says love never fails. It was trying to help the Corinth, church of Corinth. It says that, you know what? Always ask yourself this question, this question, what love requires you to do? Think about through the lens of love how you can serve and how you can put each other on a better state, all right? And then finally, they had problem with resurrection. They were questioned, you know why? Because Corinth was so far away from Jerusalem. So by then, they heard of resurrection and they were questioned, is that could that be true just like our days today? But Paul, in that masterful peace chapter, told the people that if I can bring you to Jew, to Jerusalem right now, there's more than half, which is 200 over people who have seen Christ, they were still alive, and they are able to tell you exactly why resurrection is so true. Now, uh, I'm going to give you three simple passages in Corinth, and then hopefully bring that to a close. Uh, first of all, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Okay, I love this verse, because this verse tells about potentially a lot of the background that some of us we, must, we might be caught at. He says, he said, you yourself cheat and do wrong. You do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral or idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, sanctified, justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You know, I love this particular verse. You know why? Because this verse, Paul was addressing the city of Corinth where a lot of them, they were greedy, they were thieves, they were drunkard, they were slender, they were swindler, they were adulterers. He says, a lot of you actually came from that background. Can you still recall? He says, you 
You are where you are today because the blood of Jesus, the love of Jesus, sanctified, justified, cleansed every one of you. You know, it just brings out one of the most powerful verses in the Bible, which means that no matter how messy in your world, no matter how much sin that you are indulging, the Bible says that the grace of God reigns and rules above all. I love that particular verse because it reflected exactly the challenges of the church in Corinth. But the grace of God and the love of God triumphed over that. And then 1 Corinthians 13, obviously, he says, love never fails. You know, I want to say, and uh, I want to make this statement, you know, whenever we choose to love, we always open a new door. You know how sometimes relationally we, we are stuck or could, could be you and your wife, could be you and your children, could be you and your in-laws or whatever spot that you're at. You know, ask yourself this question, what love requires you to do? Because every time when you think through the lens of love, you open a new door. You know, a quick story was some of you know Jim Elliot, uh, which is the one, the missionary that's sent to Ecuador. And, uh, and uh, this, the Bible, not the Bible, history tells us that the day when he landed, he was uh, greeted with uh, scores of spear and he was pinned to death. And he died, a horrific death. Uh, but the wife, Elizabeth Elliot, uh, took on the mission. So history tells us that about two years later, Elizabeth Elliot, because of love never fails, because believe on the love of God and believe that everybody deserves the love of God, decided to went back to the tribe of Aqua. That was exactly the name. And he, she, she kind of spent about five years there. She ministered to that. And you know, history tells us that the entire tribe came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Something about love. Something whenever we respond with love, even though it was a stuck situation, even though it was a closed door situation, even though it was a shut situation, something about love that always opens the door. That's why the Bible says, love never fails. And finally, 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul talked about resurrection. And even as we come to the communion table, I want you to be able to take this as I kind of say a couple of words and then we're going to do this together. Uh, Paul was explaining to the Corinth why resurrection matters, why the entire belief of Christianity really hinges on resurrection. And then as he went through the detail of resurrection, resurrected body, and tell what's going to happen, he made a final conclusion. And the final conclusion is something that all of us can learn. You know why? Paul is trying to tell the church of Corinth, if you believe in the resurrection, this is the conclusion you've got to make. Therefore, he starts with, therefore. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable. Uh, two different Greek words. One spoke about inner steadfastness. One talked about an external position, okay? He was trying to give the complete picture of what it means to be strong. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, your labour, that knowing that in the Lord, your labour is not in vain. So I want to say to every one of you that's watching here, you know, sometimes in this entire pandemic, uh, we did not, we were not steadfast. We were not immovable. Sometimes maybe we go through a certain situation in our life and we felt we were so weary. But Paul was trying to tell uh, the Corinth church and the Corinth believer, he says, sometimes it's not your circumstances. It's really understand that because of resurrection, he says, no matter what you do for the Lord, it will never be in vain. You know, as we come to the table of the Lord, uh, I want us to celebrate the resurrection, what Christ did on the cross, which is what this is all about. Uh, but as we take the bread and the cup,
I want us to tell us and make this simple conclusion. Uh, the city of Corinth has so much challenges, but it is out of these challenges we saw the love and the grace of God abound even more. And Paul told the city, told the church in Corinth, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labour is never in vain. Let's partake the bread and the cup together and then I'm going to pray. Thank you, Jesus. Let's do that. Let's take the cup. Thank you, Lord. Let us pray. God, I'm so grateful to you. Every time we hold the bread and the cup, we're reminded of your love that was so richly given unto us. And I pray the verse tells us that whenever we are in the Lord, our labour is not in vain. I pray for everyone that's watching this, that we will be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Lord, we bless everybody. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. God bless.